0: Turn your Bibles to Thessalonians, and uh, I want to share some things with you uh, tonight. I, I brought uh, my big Bible, and I brought my big commentary uh, because uh, I, I want to give you some good information. How many of you believe that Jesus is going to come back and catch away the church? It's commonly called the rapture of the church. Even though the word rapture is not in the Bible, catching away or being caught up is. Uh, go to First Thessalonians. Let, let's start there. First Thessalonians and let's look at chapter 4. This is where we are right now. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede those which are asleep or have died in Christ. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is not the second coming. This is the rapture of the church. This is the catching away uh, of the church. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now I'm going to make some statements to correct some things that we've heard all our lives. I hear it all the time and I'm sure you do too. That we're going to spend eternity in heaven. And that's not true. We're not going to spend eternity in heaven. We're going to spend eternity with Jesus, but we're not going to spend eternity in heaven because the Bible teaches that this earth is going to be renovated by fire and God, uh, the holy city, Jesus, and the body of Christ are going to live together on this renovated earth. So when it says here, wherefore comfort one another, with these words, we are going to be with Jesus forever, but we won't be in heaven forever. Now that's another subject uh, uh, totally. Uh, now <clears throat> I want you to go over to uh, Ephesians five twenty-seven. Ephesians five twenty-seven, and this is another important revelation. Ephesians five twenty-seven. I've always heard in my Christian life that uh, the body of Christ, uh, when Jesus returns for the body, the, the catching way of the church, the rapture, that the church is, uh, he's coming for a perfect church, uh, a glorified church, a church without spot or wrinkle. However, you won't be able to support that with scripture either because uh, Jesus is going to come for the church And we're going to be caught up to meet him in the air. And then let's look at Ephesians 5, 27. It says that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So regardless of the state of the church, I mean, if he were to come right now, split second. The church is not perfect. It's not without spot or wrinkle. So it's not referring to us having to get ourselves ready before he can come. It says that he is going to catch us up and present us to himself. That makes a big difference. Jesus is going to present the church because we become the bride of Christ. We're now the body of Christ. We're going to become the bride of Christ. He's going to present to himself a spotless church. Hallelujah. Now, go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's look beginning with verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. You know, people believe uh, strange things about death and life after death. Uh, as a pastor, I've experienced a lot of things with people when their loved ones die, their spouses die. I remember one lady years ago, uh, I had been praying with her and her family, and she died, and I went over to the house. And uh, they had uh, had her cremated and put in a vase uh, on top of the television set. While she was sick, she was in a hospital bed and she would watch her favorite soap operas and all of her favorite TV programs every day. And so uh, I asked them, I said, why did you put the urn containing her ashes uh, on the TV? And they said, because that's where she spent most of her time and she is going to be able to watch those TV programs. (laughs) So they wanted to put the urn on the television set. My brother and sister, she's not in that urn. She is absent from the body present with the Lord. I'll tell you a personal story. Now, this is not to criticize or judge. But when my dad died, um, I went down to officiate the funeral and his home going and all that. And his wife told me, now my mother died years before and he remarried. His wife told me that he wanted to be cremated. And did I have a problem with that? I said, well, let me just show you what the scripture says. And then you do what he wanted you to do. Whatever he wanted and you all agreed on, that's okay with me. But in the Bible, Jesus is our example. He's our model. I'm not trying to, you know, mess with your funeral arrangements, but (laughs) Jesus was buried uh, in a tomb. Okay? He was not cremated. Uh, That was a pagan pagan custom. So I told her, I said, well, you just go ahead and do whatever you wanted to do. Well, in the process, I learned. Now, my dad, uh, when he retired, he moved to Florida and lived in a retirement village. And uh, he he began to fall in love with greyhound dogs. Because down in Florida, they had a lot of racetracks. And when a dog stops winning races... They put them up for auction. And my dad had bought uh, two greyhound dogs. And he loved those dogs. And he loved to take them out and walk. And he said sometimes he'd take the leash off and show people how fast they could run. But they didn't make any more money, so they were going to euthanize them if they didn't sell them. Well, when the dogs died, he had them cremated and put in an urn over his fireplace. When he died, he wanted to be cremated and put in the urn with the dog. (laughs) Fortunately, the state of Florida does not allow human remains and animal remains to be buried in the same tomb or the same urn. So they couldn't do that. I was so glad. But people have strange ideas. But the Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. There's no purgatory. There's no, no place that you have to pay to get somebody out of purgatory, which is Catholicism. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I want you to say that out loud. Read that out loud with me. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You're not going to get out of this. I want you to be prepared. This is what I used to call a pastoral message. I'm looking out for your souls. And I want you to know what to expect because I'm going to be held accountable Not for this congregation. (laughs) Philip and Michelle will be uh, held accountable for this congregation. But for 35 years, this is the way I took um, my assignment very seriously. It says, we must all appear uh, at the judgment seat uh, of Christ. uh, That everyone may receive the things done in his body, the body of Christ according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is not the judgment of the believer. It is not the judgment of the the Christian is not being judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Only his works, only the works are being judged, not the person. Anybody got that? Because yes, I've heard people say, and you probably have too, that you're going to have to stand before God and give account of your life and everything you did and everything you didn't do. Well, you can't remember that. There's no way you can remember to tell God you know, what you did in the sixth grade. You can't remember that. Right. And besides that, before Christ, all of that's gone anyway. God. God said, <laughs> <Praise the Lord. laughs> yeah. Note that, that Michelle is raising her hand. Go back there and get her book, Escaping Hell, and you'll know why she's raising her hand. (laughs) You can't remember everything. And God said, I will not remember. Puts all of that in the sea of forgetfulness. So the judgment seat of Christ is not the judgment of the believer. It's the judgment of his works. You could say it this way. Instead of saying the judgment seat of Christ, you could say the rewards seat of Christ. Okay. That we might receive the things done in his body. Now, turn over to 1 Corinthians 12. Go back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18. 1 Corinthians 12. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him. So your position in the body is as it pleased him. He set you. He set you in this body. It's because he pleased. He was pleased to set you in this body. And you are going to be judged for your works in this body. You're going to be judged for the works that you do in the body that he set you in. Praise God. Okay? Uh, that's a good message to preach when you're asking people to volunteer for the ministry of helps. <laughs> if God set you there, he set you there for a reason. Yes. And we used to tell our staff when we started hiring people, you know, being a secretary, receptionist, or duplicating tapes in the back, You know, uh, you you get eye strain and back pain sitting at the table working on a computer just like you would if you're working for an insurance company. But you're not going to get rewarded by God for working for the insurance company. But you are going to get rewarded for God for what you do in His body. Amen? Okay, now let's go over to Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8. Galatians 6, 7 and 8, because it says... We're going to be rewarded for the good and the bad. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So this sowing and reaping, seed time and harvest, whatever you do in the body, it's, it's going to be rewarded. If it's good, you'll get rewarded for the good. If it's bad, you're going to get rewarded for the bad. Every church has its gossips, its liars, its thieves, uh, people that sow discord among the brethren. They're going to get rewarded for that, and it's going to be bad. Uh, you can't uh, avoid that. So repent now and start doing what is good because you're going to get rewarded uh, for for what is good. I had a guy show up at my back door one time. This is when we first started pastoring I I knew him, I I knew him well, I liked him, he was a nice guy, he was a contractor, and uh, he uh, didn't have much of a marriage or a family life, he just, you know, just was a miserable guy, he got saved, uh, but he uh, kind of, uh, how would I say, he was kind of um, interested in a lady in the church. And it was very evident. Every time we had a church picnic, you could see them together. His wife never went to the picnics with him. And so he would just kind of run around with this girl. And everybody knew they were, you know, bad news. Uh, And he came over and knocked on my door one Saturday morning and said, Can I talk to you, Pastor? I said, Sure, come on in. He said, You know that scripture in Mark 10, 29, 30, where it says, Whatever you give for the gospel's sake, you get a hundredfold return? I said, Yes. He said, Well, it says whatever you give for the gospel's sake, houses, lands, (coughs) wives. He said, I'd like to give my wife for the gospel's sake. I wish I'd have been quick enough to think, "Uh, okay, how'd you like a hundred more just like her? Because you're going to get a harvest. Well, long story short, you know, they never did. I don't know what they did, but they never did, uh, he never did divorce, but he died uh, later. Now, he had to go up for the judgment seat of Christ and get rewarded. Now, he did a lot of good things in the church. He worked around the church, and we had picnics, and he'd serve, and he'd clean up, and he'd build. But he's going to get rewarded for that bad seed. You get rewarded for the good seed, and you get rewarded for the bad seed. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Anyway, I told him he couldn't do that. I said you can't you can't stretch that scripture that far. Colossians 3 and let's look at verse 24 and 25. Knowing that the Lord knowing that of the Lord we shall receive the reward of the inheritance for we serve the Lord Christ so whatever we do that's good in the church, we're going to get rewarded for it. Now, I think this is important because the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church is very soon, I believe. And after the rapture of the church is going to come the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let's go over to Romans 14 and verse 10. Romans chapter 14 and verse I hope you're writing these things down because you can look them up uh, when you get home. Romans 14, verse 10. Why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now listen to this in the context and in the spirit in which it's written. He's talking about how you treat your brother, the brother in Christ, your fellow Christian. He said, uh, you're going to have to stand before the judgment seat of, of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now, out of that, you've heard it said that you're going to have to stand before God and give account of all your sinful life and everything you've done and all the words you've spoken, whatever. No, this is the believer's judgment, Seat of Christ. This is is not the judgment of the believer's sin. And you've got to realize there are many judgments, and I'll read some of them to you in a minute. Uh, At the great white throne judgment... That comes after the tribulation period. That great white throne judgment, there's going to be (laughs) weeping and crying and gnashing of teeth uh, because all the sinners are going to be judged for the rejection of Christ. It won't do any good to make them account for every little sin. They can't remember it either, but their, their little sins are not going to be what's going to be judged. They're going to be judged for the rejection of the Lord Jesus. How many times did they say no? to the spirit of God. Okay. And to, to substantiate this, go to John 13, 34 and 35. So he says, everyone's going to have to give account of what, how you treated your brother. And the reason is John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. <laughs> And I tell you, people can do you wrong, lie about you, cheat, steal, whatever. But you have to remember this. You have to, you don't have to like what they did. But you have to love them with the love of the Lord. And I'm not talking about when we get together in church or an assembly or a conference or something and the, and the speaker or the minister stir, turns, tells you to turn around to tell, tell your brother you love him with the love of the Lord. And everybody turns around, I love you with the love of the Lord. And you don't. You don't you don't really love them with the love of the Lord. That's just a, a churchy saying, you know, you just I love you with the love of the Lord, you sorry thing. You know, I I remember what you said about me, what you did. But you're gonna to have to give account to yourself. Woo, woo moving right along. Uh <clears throat> let's go over to Ephesians 6 again I, I, I'm sorry no let's go to Luke 1414 14. Luke 1414 14. Matthew Mark Luke 14 uh, 14. And you shall be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Uh, bet- between the rapture and the second coming of Christ is the is the, is the time of this judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to deal with the time, the place, the basis. So the time of this judgment seat of Christ is between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ, the second advent. Uh, The second coming is when Jesus comes back with all His saints, which includes you, and everybody sees Him. The rapture is when you are caught up to meet Him in the air. Nobody sees Him. You just are caught up. So you shall be blessed, but you cannot be recompensed for you shall be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. So the time between the rapture and the second advent is when this judgment seat of Christ is going to take place. Now, where is it going to take place? In heaven. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And let's look at verse 7. 1 Corinthians 9, 7. Uh, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but some are one, receive at the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Then Paul goes on and says, so run I, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beats the air, but I keep my body under and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have uh, preached to others, I myself should become a castaway there are There are certain conditions and requirements that we have to abide by uh, we've already read this i think let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter five and verse ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body in christ 's body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. so how many of you know that both works good and bad are going to be rewarded my sister used to always tell me <clears throat> she's two years behind me and um, uh, she's been to our church and she's heard me preach and um, she always tells me she said now Bubba you get to tell your side of all of our childhood but she said I never get to be heard I never get to tell my side how you used to shoot me with a BB gun. <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And I said, no, Catherine, and I hope you don't ever get a chance to share, uh, share <clears throat> those things. Um, but now that was before Christ. You understand? I, that's That's gone. Now, she might still have the scars, but it's gone. <laughs> Okay, the basis for our works, good and bad, we're going to get um, rewarded. We're going to get rewarded for our doctrines, whether they are good or bad. Our conduct to others, we are going to get rewarded for good or for bad. Casuality. I'm going to have to refrain from from getting into this. Casuality. We're going to get rewarded for how casual we take the things of God. How serious or how casual. I just accidentally, and some of you know how you can do this. I just accidentally, I was showing Jeannie something on my, my cell phone, and all of a sudden this preacher just popped up. I never heard of him before. And he was talking about worship. And he called his sermon, uh, worship, Worshiptainment. That was the name of it, Worshiptainment. And he said, the reason we're not experiencing the things of God that we want to experience and what we could experience is because we haven't learned what true worship is all about. And uh, he said, you know, if you go back over to Exodus... And I hadn't taken the time to go over there and and read. I know it's there; I've read it before, but I hadn't hadn't read it today. So, if you go over to Exodus, they spent days in preparation before they went into worship to 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 God. And said during, during Moses' time, if they went to the mountain and and touched the mountain without being prepared, they would die if they did anything out of what they were instructed to do, they would suffer the consequences. And uh, he went on and stepped on a few toes and said, you know, <clears throat> now this this doesn't, uh, um, how would I say this? This does not <clears throat> apply to this church. But he went on to say, you know, He said, when you come to church to worship, he said, uh, if you come in your flip-flops and your cut-off shorts and your holy blue jeans, he said, you have come casually to the house of God. And he reads over in Exodus where even in the worship in the Old Testament, they condemned those that come to worship in blackness or darkness. And as Jeannie reminded me of one church we were in one time, she said it was so dark you couldn't see to get to your chair. You had they had to have a they had a flashlight like an usher in a movie theater to get her to her seat. I don't understand why we do that, except that's part of the visitor-friendly, seeker-friendly model that started 20 years ago to try and be like the world. We're trying to get the world to come into our churches. And so we don't want them to feel uncomfortable. (laughs) We want them to come in. And hey, the night I got saved, I was miserable. I went into this church. They were laying on the altar, praying in a funny language. People were screaming, hollering, had their hands lifted up. It's Scared daylight out of me. Well, actually, it scared the night out of me, the darkness out of me, and I, I went in and I, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So, you know, you're not going to win the world by becoming like the world. But that's where that's where all that came from. But the the word, even in the Old Testament, uh, tells us to refrain from casual uh, treatment of God. You honor God when you go into His presence. You're good. You. And in fact, he said this, and I know I probably shouldn't say this, but he said it. Um, and what we're looking for is a great worldwide revival, and we're looking for all the young people and the youth and the teenager. And he said, You know, he said, while I'm on this, he said, God did not create this visitor friendly, seeker friendly church attitude for teenagers. When I was a kid growing up, and I know that's a bad example because that was eons ago, but when I was a kid growing up, they didn't distinguish between you being a child or a teenager. You went to church, you sat with mom and daddy and grandmother and grandfather if they were still living, and you listened and you behaved and if you didn't grandmother would reach over and pinch a chunk out of you and tell you to be still never could figure that one out because when she pinched you you jumped she said be still <laughs> <laughs> but in an effort to minister to the kids on their level huh? There's a lot of parents not saved. yeah there's a lot of parents not saved and they don't take their kids but Mine did, and we went to church every Sunday, and we had our Sunday clothes, and we had to conduct ourselves in a certain way it's the parents' job to teach that to the children, and therefore you don't you don't have to go out and do some crazy stuff just to get them to come to church because you know it's it's okay for them to, uh, Jeannie took me to uh, church a Baptist church uh, before we were married. she took me to this church that was having a revival, and this Baptist preacher my goodness. He was loud and he screamed and hollered and he was preaching heaven high and hell hot. And I never heard that. I was raised Presbyterian. You know, we were God's frozen people. And so he leaned over that pulpit. He gave an altar call. He leaned over that pul- He pointed his finger. It looked like he pointed right at me, of course. And he said, if you don't come down here tonight and get saved, God will kill you on the way home. Whoa, I wasn't even saved, and I knew better than that. So I asked Jeannie about it. She said, "Well, he's not our uh, our normal evangelist." <laughs> but there were things that happened in church that I didn't understand. But I didn't. I, I, I never did t- treat God casually. You know, you, you reverence him. You go into his presence uh, in, in honor. And that's one of the things you'll be judged is were you too casual. Things that affect others, slander, quarrel, foolishness. Uh, that's what the word idle words means in Matthew twelve thirty six. You On the dead judge. you'll have to give account of every idle word, foolishness coarse jesting. There's some people that can't even talk uh, without using foolishness. Things that affect themselves, wasted talents, wasted years, wasted time, neglected opportunities. These are all the things that, that are going to be dealt with at the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to get rewards. You're not going to get scolded. Okay it's it's not where you get condemned it's it's not a judgment upon you and you're going to be judged and rewarded for your spiritual maturity or your lack thereof things that affect God refusal to walk in the light disobedience rejection um, let me give you um, some of the things out of this book if you've never read this book, I recommend it to you. I've got so many markers in it. I'm going to have to find my place. I think I can. I turned the page down. But I've got to find where I turned the page down. I think it's 7. Yeah, there it is, 757. If you don't have one of these, I encourage you to get one. This is uh, J. Finnis Dake. God's plan for man. It's an exhaustive study of of the scriptures, Old and New Testament. Okay. There are seven judgments in scripture. The judgment of the believer's sin. Now that's already happened. That's already occurred. The believer's judgment of himself. You know, you can judge yourself. The judgment of the believer's works. That's what we're talking about. Tonight. That's where you are rewarded for what you've done, good or bad. Uh, and then there's the um, judgment of Israel. Israel's going to be judged. That's basically what the tribulation period is about the judgment of Israel and um, goat nations or Gentile nations. The judgment of the nations. All this is in there in Matthew 25, Ezekiel 20, etc. Judgment of the nations. Then there's the great white throne judgment, which is the wicked dead. Then there's the judgment of angels. All the angels that left heaven with Lucifer are going to be judged. Uh, The great white throne judgment. This is the second death. This is going to be fulfilled after the millennium. I think I said after the. Um, tribulation, but it's after the millennium. And then there's uh, subjects that are going to be judged. The time of the judgment, place of the judgment. There's all kinds of things. And you know, don't let that word um, judgment scare you. It simply means that God is going to make a judicial decision on the things that uh, are important. Let me go back here. I missed something. 7.57. I wish I had taken a picture and put it on your screen for you. But here's somebody that took uh, the judgments at the judgment seat of Christ. To give you an example, it starts out uh, with a table here, total weight of 100 pounds. bigotry, 11 parts, personal ambition, 22 parts, love of praise, 19 parts, pride of denomination, 15 parts, love of authority, 12 parts, pride of talents, 14 parts, love of God, four parts, love of man, three parts. And this guy wound up uh, in a deficit. So, this, this is not to scare anybody. This is to wake us up and let us know there will be a, a, a rewards seat, if you please, of what we've done. It's, it's really to encourage you uh, to make sure that from this point on, uh, you make a mental note of what you're doing in the body of Christ, for it carries uh, a reward. Uh, there are other scriptures over in First Corinthians that says to take heed how you build because it tells us uh, if you build on uh, a sure foundation, gold and silver and precious stones, that will not be burned up because all of these works are going to be judged by fire. And then it lists wood, hay, and stubble. If you build on wood, hay, and stubble, then that's going to be burned up. Um, and the big thing is, is, is God's going to judge the motive of your heart. Um, the fire will reveal what kind of work it was, whether it was good or bad. If it's good, it'll, it'll stand the test of fire. But if it was bad, it'll be burned up and all that will be there is um, ashes. But he always looks at the motive the motive of the heart is what he's after. You can make mistakes, but he's, he's going to look at the motive. You know, uh, Pat Robertson wrote a book before he passed uh, called David, um, uh, the uh, Servant King. And I got a copy of it. And in this book, <clears throat> he acknowledges all of David's faults, all of his weaknesses, He was a scoundrel, really, King David. But I'm talking about, I'm sorry, David the shepherd king. And he was a scoundrel. He was a murderer. He was a fornicator. He was an adulterer. And yet God looked at his heart. He judged his heart. Now, David lived under a different covenant than we live under. And, uh, you know, he, he... passed many of the tests. And That's not to give license to living like he lived, but it's nice to know that God looks at the heart. He, he's, he judges your heart, your motive. And, and I remember something Smith Wigglesworth said one time to Brother Sumrall. Brother Sumrall told me, he said, if you go anywhere to be seen or heard, you go for the wrong reason. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go places to teach or uh, be taught or to be a blessing or to sing or, or whatever. And, boy, I tell you what, I've had to remember that several times. I, in fact, oh, a few months ago, I had an opportunity to go to a conference, a minister's conference. And I, I was not invited, but I wanted to help. So I invited myself. And that was the wrong thing to do because I wasn't invited by the host. And in my opinion, it was a total flop. I'm talking about my part. Um, I was out of my element. I was not supposed to be there. And the Lord said, okay, why did you go? I said, well, I wanted to help them. He said, are you sure? Oh, when God starts asking you questions like that, you know you're in trouble. (laughs) Did you want to be seen or did you want to be heard? Or how did you think you were going to help them? How did you think you were going to bless them as a body of believers? Because when I got there, I realized, you know, I was old enough to be all of them's grandfather and I was not, prepared for what I was getting into. They didn't really want to hear what I had to say. You know, you do go places where people, they don't really want to hear what you have to say. Uh, They want to see how high you can jump and how fast you can run, but they don't really want to hear uh, what you have to teach them. So you have to judge yourself. I've learned that that's easier to do than be judged by God. I, I'd rather judge myself before I get to the judgment seat of Christ. And that way I don't lose anything. It's kind of like <laughs> when we first started in the ministry, I used to tell my testimony everywhere we went. I told them, you know, I was in the liquor business and I sold uh, all the liquor stores and bars and hotels and whatever. And, and, uh, <clears throat> When the devil tried to condemn me over my past, I said, well, you're too late, devil, because I've already told it. Yeah. So it, you, there's, you're not going to gain anything because I've already told it. But then there are times to use wisdom, and I've told ministers this. You don't need to tell everything. I told one minister he had been asked to be in our conference out in California. This was 20, 30 years ago. And he was giving his testimony, and Brother Sumrall asked me to ask him if he would sing during our banquet, and he, he refused. He said, I'm not going to sing while people eat. If you want to hear me or listen to my music, fine. I said, okay. So he, he gave his testimony. And I was watching the audience. This was out in California. It was a big auditorium. And he gave his testimony about before uh, he he got ready to, performed somewhere, uh, <laughs> this guy, he traveled with Liberace and Alice Cooper. Now, some of you don't know who in the world these people are, but when his mother asked him who he was singing with and traveling with, he said, oh, I'm, I'm traveling with uh, Alice Cooper now. She said, well, I don't believe I've heard of her. He, he said, it's not a her, it's a him. Oh, okay. Anyway, he was telling this story and he said he was he was sitting in his hotel room getting ready to have sex with a former Miss America. And the minute he said that, he lost his audience because they, they changed their focus. They started focusing on, on him, on what he said. So after the service, I told him, I said, you know, you got a great uh, testimony, a great ministry, a great anointing. I said, but you might want to drop that part out of your testimony because I said, I was watching the audience and the minute you said that, you lost your audience. They just went blank. So there there are a lot of things that you uh, don't need to tell. There are things that you can tell. It might help some people because they can identify with you. Uh, But God's looking at the motive of your heart. And that's what He's going to base His judgment on. He's going to reward you. I'll close with this All work that glorifies the worker is lost. Only that which glorifies Christ remains. Who are you glorifying? who are you magnifying? When we were building our church and we'd asked everybody to believe God for $1,000, boy, they were were doing it, but they were tired. And um, we still hadn't paved the parking lot. It was just gravel and dirt and mud. Women were ruining their heels and shoes. And when it would rain, it'd be a mud bowl and, a uh, parking lot was going to cost $100,000 to pay back in the 80s. That was a lot. And we didn't have it, and people were tired of giving. So I asked the Lord, because he told us to build the church and pay for it as we went, which we had done up to that point. And I said, Lord, I'd like permission to borrow the $100,000 to pave the parking lot because the people are tired. He said, okay, if you're asking for the people's sake, you can borrow the $100,000. So I did. And we paved the parking lot. I think we paid it back in six months because God had anointed that. I wasn't asking for myself. I was asking for the people. And right after that, I'd heard Oral Roberts say that when he was building ORU, he had everything built but the dormitories. And he'd paid cash and built it and paid for it as it went, just like we were doing. And he went to the Lord and said, Lord, the students will be here for the fall registration, and I have no dormitories. Can I borrow the money to build the dormitories? And the Lord told him, yes, as long as you're doing it for the students. So he judges the the motive uh, of your heart to see why you're doing something. Why do you want to bless somebody? To get the credit? I've been in services, and you have too, where they ask for pledges and and everybody stands up and says, I'll give this and I'll give that. And they acknowledge who you are and read your name and all that. Well, it's hard to determine who's doing that just get recognized. Or whether you just, you know, give it without getting recognized. Because the Lord told me, he said, you can either get your recognition here or you can get it there. (laughs) So I'd rather get it there uh, than here. Anybody learn anything uh, from this tonight? So take this and use it. The judgment seat of Christ is the next event after the rapture of the church. And we're all going to be there. I think about this all the time. And I think about Hebrews 13 where it talks about the pastor shepherds are going to have to give account for how they watched for the souls of the people. That they may get rewarded for how they watched for the souls of the people. And I said, Lord, there are a few that I let fall through the cracks. (laughs) Uh, don't uh, hold me accountable for that. You know, there are some sheep that are, they just look like sheep. They're not really sheep. They're goats. And they butt everything. And God says, I know the difference. So you're not, that's not going to be a minus. That's not going to be a subtraction. Uh, but I took that very serious because everybody that left the church for any reason, I took it personally. I grieved over it. I prayed over it because I felt like I had failed them. And I found out that I was weeping and crying and all that for for no reason because you can't please everybody. If you try to, you begin to get a Messiah complex and you can't make everybody do what they're supposed to do. God can't even do that. So (laughs) why was I wasting, you know, my time? Okay, let's everybody stand. And I just want to pray over you because the Holy Spirit is the teacher. And I want to pray, Holy Spirit, will you take this message on the judgment seat of Christ and minister it to every hearer here tonight and bring it to their remembrance in their sleep, in the morning, every time they start thinking about the judgment seat of Christ. Encourage them. Because we want to be ready, Father. Yes. We want to be rapture ready, and we want to be ready for the judgment seat of Christ to receive rewards. Our rewards, Father. Everybody say, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus I refocus, I refocus my, attention my attention on the rewards seat of Christ. And whatever you ask me to do, Lord, I'll do in favor and with a good heart and a good motive. And I thank you ahead of time for my rewards. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I'll turn it back over to